You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And joining me on the other line to talk Pacers rebounding. So bonuses, net ratings, and the incoming week for the Pacers, Mr. Adam Friedman, my co-host. Adam, how's it going, man? You should call me Mr. I always call you Mr. Tony East, but I don't think you ever I just stole Mr. your Mr. Adam. bit, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Uh, I always I just, call like, you. listen to enough basketball podcasts, and you start to just become like <laughs> a version of all 70 hosts you've ever listened to in your life. It's just how it goes. Um, yeah, so that's, fair. that's the first thing. So let's back up a little bit. Uh, the Pacers Saturday game against the Rockets was postponed because of inclement weather in Houston at the Toyota Center. Uh, probably unsafe for fans to get there. They probably had power, rolling power issues. I don't know the exact reasonings for the Toyota Center being not necessarily safe for an NBA game. But either way, I'm glad that Houstonians are, are getting safer recently. And that game was postponed. The Pacers Monday game tonight against the Spurs has been postponed due to a COVID outbreak within the Spurs. So that means the Pacers will have seven days off between playing last Wednesday against the Timberwolves, a win that Adam recapped last Thursday, uh, and their next Wednesday game, or their coming Wednesday game against the Warriors. So first of all, awesome that they get a week off right now. I mean, not that they're like so banged up. You know, it's been the same two guys out for forever. But yes, they are. The, in the, is the two players that need to come back going to come back in this week? Because it doesn't right, really right. matter. But but any refreshing is good. They have a road trip coming up. Uh, so get, getting right and, and getting everyone healthy is always a little nice, uh, and they can chill at home, which is I'm sure the players are happy to be at home in a season like this. So we're going to talk about an evergreen topic, uh, which is rebounding. The Pacers stink once again at rebounding. Can you believe it? Uh, so we're going to shocked. <laughs> yeah, which which every time people who listen, we do a podcast with someone who covers another team. They just blindly assume and that this to their credit. This makes sense. Oh, the Pacers have two centers, right? Like. My, the team that's playing the Pacers needs to focus on the glass. Like they, they need to do good on the glass. And I understand the thought the Pacers are 23rd in offensive rebounding and 19th in defensive rebounding. So that's not actually true, but I understand the thought. So what I want to start is I'm not going to highlight any, I'm not going to try to highlight any one player and be like, this guy is the rebounding problem. Rebounding is a team thing. It requires everyone to buy in. That said, when we get through the numbers, I think we'll see that the numbers are a bit fluky and it makes it even easier to kind of make it a team issue. So, Adam, what I want to start by saying is, you know, something I feel like the Pacers do a lot this year is they have guys fly in from the wings in the corners to crash the glass under the basket. And they give up a lot of long rebounds, which I feel like is is more of the victim of their offensive rebounds than just like they have a few like every team where they just get beat inside. But I feel like a lot of their offensive rebounds they give up are because they crash the glass so hard and give up the long ones. Yeah, that's been a problem for the whole McMillan era before yep. before before Coach Nate 2.0. Um, the last time this team ranked outside the top 20 in re- total rebounding was 2015-16, which is a Inside the top year. 20, you mean? Inside the top 20, yes. I'm yeah. sorry, inside wow. the top 20. It's that's been impressive. almost five years. Uh, last year, they were 25th, I think. And this year, the 23rd, so not a huge improvement. Um, no, it feels like they get killed like one of two ways. I think the long rebounding way is definitely one way. The other way is teams um, drag Turner away from the rim in some way, either um, by kind of forcing him to jump out because they beat the defender, and they kind of either throw up kind of almost like a, a rebounding layup in some ways, right, where the other guys, the, you know, the taller guy for the team is sitting on the, on the rim and just kind of waiting to clean up. Um, those are like the kind of two ways that they get killed. 
around yeah. the rim. And I don't know what the solution is, right? They 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 clearly need some better rebounding out of their guards and whatnot, but it in some everyone, ways everyone. Team thing. Yeah, it, it it just feels like as a team, it's like it's not maybe an emphasis in some ways. So it's it, it's interesting that the trends are continuing from coach to coach because the, the way you play defense is a big factor in your rebounding as well. So, like, with Turner, and I'll get to everyone here, but with Turner specifically, you're absolutely right. I think this happens so much where some guard gets beat and it's part of their disruptive and aggressive defensive scheme. The big – so this happens as a bonus too. They come over to stop the driver – and then that player throws up a floater, throws a blip, and because Sabonis or Turner has their hands straight up and they're jumping or that you know they're, they're looking not at the rim, they can't recover fast enough to also grab the rebound. And thus, the other guys have to get there, and they can't. And because they're beat, they're farther from the play, and it makes offensive rebounds easier. I think that happens a lot. I also think in the disruptive scheme, sometimes when a shot goes up, you're act, they're actively chasing someone else, right? They're trying to get in someone's face and they're not, they're not facing the, the, the basket or the, you know, it's, it's hard to box out from that position when you're right up on a guy, they can just kind of shimmy to a side of you. So I think Bjorkren's defensive scheme has some to do with it. Like what, where do the Raptors rank in rebounding? Do you happen to have that up still? Uh, I have, let's see. I, I have on one of these 12,000 tabs. I, have <laughs> I know I have, we have a lot of tabs for today, guys. Sorry. Bear with us. Uh, I have, well, I guess I have remaining percentage, I guess. I'll, I'll <laughs> I go to the Raptors. But I'm imagining a, a team that plays similar defense, such as the Raptors, would have uh, similar rebounding struggles. So, uh, and that is correct. The Raptors are last in rebounding this season in the NBA, dead 30th. So, sort of the, the nurse Bjorkren ball disruption thing is certainly a factor. But I think, yeah, if you go – and say this is a trend that there's some roster stuff to it too. So I think that is the crux of the discussion. I think we kind of nailed the the high level stuff. And I think the stats are interesting too. You want to get into that? Yeah. Well, real quick. So the thing about the Pacers too is is they're pretty good at holding opponents two point percentage, right? So they they do a really good job of getting this like the the stop if that makes sense. Right? They, stop. The initial stop. They force teams um, to lowest three point rates because they force them all three point line times. Right? They chase guys hard i mean you see how many times do you see justin holiday like lunging at a dude and basically forcing him to some kind of bad looking three-point shot um at the last second it's right it's like a, you know it's they're really good at those kind of things they're just not good at the last step which could kill them right because of second chance points but yep. it, it it's like a it's a double-edged sword right they give up more two-point shots and be at a you know a team maybe instead of being third and two-point percentage for opponents be in let's say 10 or 15 um but then they're I'm not more right. Yeah, I mean, it, overall, I don't know how actually is, is better, right? And their defensive rating is not terrible this year, right? They're they're in, they're in 13. They've been as high, you know, I think they've been in the top 10 at some, at some point this season. Like, they don't have this bad defense, like this terrible defensive rating. It's just they sort of have to, like, pick which, which thing they want to get, get beat at. And that's how most teams do it, right? You have to pick which one you right. want to get beat at. Yeah, they give up the 24th most, so I guess sixth most is more accurate, the sixth most two-point attempts per game. But the third lowest two point percentage, fifty point six. So it's kind of like, you know, if you shoot and you miss, then the team gets an offensive rebound and scores. They took two twos and shot fifty percent, which would influence those stats massively. So let's get into something with the centers because, and I am not here to defend Miles Turner's honor. Miles Turner is definitely a weak rebounder for his position, and we always have to start with that argument because people get misconstrued about what's happened. That said, I want to dig into stats with the centers on the court. So. Let's start with Turner because this is interesting. With Turner on the floor, the Pacers grab 24.9% of offensive rebounds, of available offensive rebounds. When Turner off the court, that number is lower, 24.7. 
With Miles Turner on the court, the Pacers grab 73.2% of defensive rebounds available. With Turner off the court, that number is 70.3, so lower. So with Turner in the game, the Pacers grab almost 3% more rebounds on both ends. So they are be- uh, they are better at rebounding with Turner in the game, whether that's because he offers a defensive disruption, whether that's because he's actually getting a body on a center, because he is pretty good at getting into guys, even though he's not the strongest when he actually goes up for the ball. There's a lot of factors, but the Turners rebound better. The, the Turners, <laughs> the Pacers rebound better when he is in the game, according to the numbers. If you go to Sabonis, that is the opposite. Their offensive rebound rate with Sabonis in the game, 23% with him off, 30.5. Defensive rebound rate with Sabonis in the game is higher, 72.6 versus 70.6 with him off. So they actually grab a higher percent of rebounds with Sabonis off the floor than on. We're not stupid. We watch the game. Sabonis clearly a strong and good rebounder. So you have to remember these numbers are team numbers. But I think that Sabonis stat is interesting that – they get a lot more offensive rebounds when he's not in the game, and they still do good on the defensive glass. So he's clearly strong in that way. But you know, there's some give and take with both centers that you're getting when they're out there. And I think that that kind of emphasizes how much of a team thing this is and how the, the guard's not really doing a great job of getting those longer rebounds is kind of killing them. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you look at on the just even the raw numbers, like just the rebounding stat, the guards compared to other teams' guards are not as high. I mean, I mean, take the I didn't one through three. get just guard rebounds. <laughs> That's um, no, but like if you look at so I honestly what I did I've been comparing to the 2015 16 Pacer team. Okay. <laughs> in my mind. So if you go back to that year, let me go back and click through it real quick again. Um that was remember that was like the weird year where PG was hurt and whatnot. Yep. But somebody like uh like you look at kind of guys like a combination of George Hill averaging four a game. I mean, you had Paul oh Paul did play that year. I'm sorry. He had seven rebounds a game, right? They don't have any small forward who even touches that level right now. Yep. I mean, that's and- that's where it comes from. That's something else I wanted to add in. You know who was a good rebounder? PG. Well, no, yes, but you know who was a good rebounder that they had on the team earlier this year is Victor. Oh, TJ. Victor Oladipo, yeah. So, well, Warren, too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Both of those guys are good rebounders, honestly. Yeah. Well, and and that's what you need, right? So, there's... They're playing kind of two ways. They're playing undersized at the three, right? I mean, I think Justin Holliday is undersized three. I mean, he, he... not a good rebounder. Definitely is weak. Right, and he's, he's more a guard. Like, I, I would say yeah. if you're going to play him, he's either your bench three or he's a guard in the starting lineup, right? Yep. Or you go in lineups where, like, you know, it's, I guess you'd be McConnell, him, and Brogdon be the three. The other option is you're going with McDermott, who just isn't, like, a great rebounder because he's just not have, like, the size to be able to kind of beat around other small forwards, right? He gets kind yep. of pushed around because he's a little bit smaller or not as strong, right? So they just don't – they don't – they are – they're okay at the four, five, and three. They're just so weak at like the two and three spots that it's it sort of flips the other way on them. Yeah, Lamb and and even Brogdon. Although Brogdon gets a lot, but I feel like sometimes I feel like he's out of position. But Lamb and McDermott and Holiday and the other Aaron Holiday, obviously when he plays the two, way too small to be, you know, a good rebounder. So I think a lot of it is guard based. Now that the centers are off the hook, you know, we're seeing they're getting a lot more offensive rebounds with Sabonis out, and maybe. That's a shot profile thing because when Sabonis is out, they shoot longer shots. So they have more opportunities for long rebounds. Maybe that's a little fluky. Who knows? But I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, and they're giving up offensive rebounds. I think that's the crux of the problem, not that they're not getting enough themselves. So I think that that's not even that important. I just <laughs> They're getting more defensive rebounds with Sabonis in than out as well. So really, it's A, they get smoked with neither of Turner and Sabonis in the game on the glass, like obviously. But B, it's it's a team issue where, you know, they're not quite sealing off everybody and the ball just can carry them out to someone else. And a lot of every team thinks that <laughs> they're the, they're terrible at those long rebounds and get unlucky. But the Patriots have been bad tactically, not just unlucky. So they got to improve there. 
Yeah. And I think another thing about it is if you have better perimeter defenders, which when you had like Oladipo and you have Warren, yep. um, it makes it easier. You don't get, you don't get Turner getting pulled, which lets him rebound the ball, which he, like you said, isn't a great amount for his position, let's say, but that's because most of the time he's defending the rim and not trying to get the rebound. Um, but I think if he had more opportunities in the way that he wasn't just always having to bail out guys, he might have a higher rebounding. Like he might, you know, so I think was at like seven right now, game six, six and a half right now. He could be at seven or eight. Um, Part is just that he's really good at doing stuff that allows other people to get rebounds. He is not a good rebounder, I would say. Yeah, but I I I do think though if he's not constantly bailing out, you know, perimeter guys who get beat, which that's kind of what he even set up. He could he'd be a better rebounder per se, but he's he's sort of been kind of told make your emphasis on like being the rim protector, forcing all kinds of bad shots, trying to you know, um, just be that kind of menace around the rim versus like the guys just pulling everybody's constantly. Yeah, I'm with you on all that. I think this was uh, actually pretty interesting to dig into these numbers for me because I always intuitively have felt it's more of a guard thing. But when you really look at the center's numbers and go, "Whoa, those don't those don't jive with what you think," you go, "Oh, okay, it's it's definitely." You know, well, it, it honestly might even be the small forward spot in particular. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, because I I I think when it comes down to it, the Pacers were good at rebounding back in the day because of Paul George, who is for you know top what seven six seven small forward in the league. Um, and they don't have – I mean, even with Warren, they're playing an, technically an undersized guy that's spot. And Warren's a better – not a terrible rebounder. But in general, like, when you don't have this sort of, like, really tall guy at the three spot who, you know, it makes it harder because right. a lot of teams – that's their strongest – I mean, most of the good team's strongest point is the three, right? Whether it's, like, kind of Ben Simmons, who I don't even know what he's playing nowadays, but I assume <laughs> it's somewhere somewhere between three and four. Or you go to Brooklyn, it's – I guess KD is probably playing kind of a three or also them, who the hell knows. Um Milwaukee, it's like Middleton basically is kind of playing three. I mean, that's that's the spot where yep. you have good good rebounders, and that's where the teams have good rebounding. So for those who have asked for mail that question, should the Pacers sign a center to help with the rebounding? No, that would uh, not help mm-hmm. them at all. They should uh, they need a wing rebounder if they try to do that, and it'd be hard to find that's a wing who's so good at rebounding that it makes him worth playing instead of Justin Holly and Doug. The, yeah, the, the Pacers' problem, which we've said this every week for the past, I don't know, four weeks, five weeks, is they just – they're the two of their top five players are hurt yep. at this moment. Yep. When one of those guys comes back, things will look a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're just trying to survive. <laughs> they're doing an okay job of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, gonna, they're surviving for sure. They are surviving. Uh, and we're going to talk now about Sabonis' net ratings. How boring could that be? Not at all, because we're fun people and we have a lot to say about it. But first, let's take a little break and talk about betonline.ag, the official gambling partner of the Lockdown Podcast Network and the fastest and easiest way to bet. And all your sports action, football is over, but NBA is not rolling in full swing. NHL is going, college basketball uh, tournament play coming up soon. And you can bet on all that on Bet Online. They even have awards, TVs, rea- TV shows, reality TV, and real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They've got you covered for news, scores, and odds. Best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so this segment about Sabonis brought to you from John Hollinger uh, of The Athletic and from the Hollinger and Duncan pod on the Lockdown Podcast Network, which, by the way, fantastic discussion about basketball. On that podcast, he, John Hollinger, former executive vice president, I think, of basketball operations for the Memphis Grizzlies, who has now transitioned to media. He wrote about Sabonis uh, not being one of his reserves. He does not think Sabonis should make it. Uh, And one of the reasons in there was because the team has a negative net rating with Sabonis in the game. 
and a positive net rating with Sabonis out of the game. So let's dissect that because, yes, those two things are technically true. And I get that that that's, you know, a reason you could not vote him as an all-star. If he's not, if the Pacers are not outscoring the other team with him in there, how good can he really be? I hear you. So first of all, I want to start by looking at the second argument there, the, the on-off data, because I think on-off data is a really tricky thing when you use analysis, because saying the Pacers are outscoring other teams by 12.5 when Sabonis isn't in the game, 12.5 points per 100 possessions is accurate. But I think that that shouldn't be a knock on Sabonis. You shouldn't say, oh, well, they're amazing without him. So clearly he stinks. No, no, no. They've just, like we talked about on last week's weekly show, they've just been killing it with these Miles Turner and center lineups. And if anything, that should prop up Turner's case and not hinder Sabonis's, is what I think. Yeah. Also, it has to do with, I mean, it has to do with the level of opponent, right? I mean, when Sabonis is playing against teams' first units for most of the game, he is getting the double teams of the team's two best post defenders for most of the game. Right. Um, The Bayers have a good, when things are going right with everybody, they have a pretty good bench because McConnell plays at a, better break than most really this year than most bench players you had that with turner who's been great this year too and you get a really solid lineup when you especially when you play against weaker opponents um right. and and uh the other thing is sabonis plays what like 39 minutes a night i don't know what he's actually yeah the sample size I mean, we're talking i think he plays 37 right now or yeah. close to it so you're talking 11 minutes and those 11 minutes are guaranteed to include most of the other two bench players so it just, all this stat really shows is that the pacers Starting lineup is not as strong as it as it could be, but they're a 500 team. So being about a 500 net rating is not the end. Where I'm taking that from you because you told me that before the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but but also like, of course their starting lineup is not like great. They're missing two of their starters. I mean, what would you expect them to have this great net rating when they're you know basically trying to band it starting lineup together with their bench? But it also shows that their bench, which has been solid for the past two years, is pretty decent. <laughs> and that's all that stat really shows in my opinion. So I. I- I think John Ollinger is really smart and knows all this stuff. I just want to talk about and dive into what those numbers are actually meaning for the Pacers. Uh, and and I think that actually the negative net rating thing with him on is a pretty good detriment to Sabonis's case because if if you want to make the argument that Sabonis should be an all-star because the Pacers are the fourth seed in the East, right? And coaches typically have rewarded winning in the past, right? The Like the Pacers kind of got a guy last year because they were like 19 and 10 when coaches voted. And they're like, well, we need Mm. need someone from that team that we're playing good. So that argument kind of sucks when your team's only 500, even if you're the fourth seed. But maybe that'll help him. But, you know, the negative 2.5 net rating, which actually it's uh, minus 3.1 if you go by individual, like if not on NBA.com, if you go by actual individual possession counts. Or he did the math himself. Let's let everybody know that. I'm very dorky. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think that their recent struggles are a big factor here. And like Adam said, they're missing two other starters. So he's playing a lot with that you know, makeshift starting group and even McDermott's missed some time from that. And so they had to start McConnell. Like they've, they cycled through so many units. And if you do his minutes with Brogdon out of the game, there's a, the Pacers have a positive net rating actually. So I think that he's kind of playing victim to the lineup game where he's just playing so much with a group that plays a ton of minutes that because the Pacers are 500, that net, like you just said, Adam, that net rating is going to look worse than Sabonis's talent actually is in reality. Yeah, I, what I will say is, so last year you and I were were big on Spones. is really good because his bench lineups, right? That unit. Yeah, that why, that's why his on off looked amazing last year. Well, so I'm I'm wondering if that that had less to do with Sabonis because Turner has the same roughly not, but like has a pretty good net rating with the bench. I wonder if just do with the other four players that are out there at times. Oh, <laughs> it totally does. 
right? I mean, totally. that's kind of what we're we're saying. Um, I think things too. Thing right. I don't like about it is you can make a pretty case about it should be an all star just because of how many players are playing well this year, right? You got yeah. You said you said I think you did on Friday eleven guaranteed all stars, and then you know basically three games separate the four from the ten seed in the East, so like record doesn't really matter that much right now. Like in they could vote they'll vote Tuesday by Monday by the end of the month the Patriots could be the ten seed if things go yeah. bad, right? Like that, that's we're not the record is not that big of a deal right now. Um, it's just the on off thing is kind of deceiving it, it it sort of doesn't really show because Moas has been valuable in his like usage and his minutes are needed to just prop the team up in general right. I think that and Hollinger does note in here that he's been missing a lot of bunnies recently and I think that sub- teams are learning how to defend Sabonis a little better and it's making him a little worse raw yeah, numbers adjust Monos does to that raw sure. numbers have been clearly down for a little bit like again there, there are valid reasons to keep him off but I think his his net rating stuff is kind of baked in a lot of some like the lineups he's tied to yeah um, which I think is interesting, although they are like minus five when he's on without Turner, right? Turner has been really helpful for his for his net rating stuff. But that that's I think that was some interesting points for Hollinger that I thought were worth discussing. And like like is 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 Sabonis really the reason that the Pacers are are struggling? You know, his struggles are a factor, but like his his numbers are still insane and he's asked to do so much between creating and and he's the way he's playing on defense, Hollinger notes that he's getting targeted, and he is because Bjorkren's system is aggressive, disruptive, pressure the ball all the time. And Sabonis is not good at that. He's being very miscast on defense. And so as a result, he's getting targeted. Yeah, he should get punished because he can't do it. But also you have to kind of go, well, okay, Bjorkren's kind of setting him up to fail. Like how much should we really punish him for that? It's a really tricky situation for him with his defense because he's asked to do a lot that he is not good at. And he should be punished for not being good at something. However, you should not be punished for being forced to do it over and over and over and getting targeted, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, and I think it's the same thing offensively in some ways, right? The way the way the Patriots are playing right now, because they don't have um, the other offensive creators, like, like I think how many times last year do we say, oh, TJ, having TJ Warren is like the 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 godsend after that terrible year where Vic was hurt and they just kept running the bullion things over and over again and couldn't get any offense, right? Warren himself, just because he get the, the ball in his hands, could just create offense on his own and it like right. opened everything up in some ways, right? They were really good without Vic last year because Warren was so good. Um, right now, Sabonis is getting basically three looks on offense. It's uh, a pop and sh- like a kind of a, a pop and shoot three, right? He kind of picks him, they pop it back to him or he gets it on some kind of rebound and shoots a three, which is shooting 36% on three, which is terrible. Yep. He's getting a pick and roll, th- a pick and roll kind of to the rim, which half the time he's being, you know, two guys on him or he's getting some kind of one-on-one matchup. Um, but he's not like, he's not getting a lot of like flow offense shots, right? A lot of it's like, we're specifically going to Sabonis on this play kind of thing. And right. that makes it even harder to play offense when you're the sole focus, especially when he... You know, he basically has to decide: Do I want to go in the post and try to make a three-foot or five-foot shot, or kick it out to somebody? That's like he has two options basically, and he's it's it's harder when he's not around the most talented players. Which shockingly, I mean, he's not. I think the issue with Sabonis is maybe he's not an all-star because he's not like a lift a team to the heights at 24 years old the way like the top five players can do. But you know, that's not like a knock on anybody if they're not that player right now. Yeah. And, it, and his net rating stuff is very damning. Adam, can you can you tell me how many guys in the NBA are averaging 21, 11, and 5 this season? 21, 11, and 5? Yep. Uh, five players. Yeah, the answer is three players. Ooh. That would be uh, Nikola Jokic, Giannis okay. Antetokounmpo, and DeMontis Sabonis. What's Embiid averaging? He's got that is close. the entire crew of people averaging 21 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists. So, 
I can say it's, it's hard for even if his defense is really rough because he's being miscast, it's hard for me to be like, oh, that's a detriment to the team, you know. Um, Sabona or Embiid is not in that group because he does not nearly have the playmaking. He's only three. Right. He doesn't pass well very much. Yeah. yeah. His scoring is immaculate. His rebounding is at 11, but he's at three assists. So I understand the arguments Hollinger made uh, for sure. And, you know, I, I'm not at all doubting his credibility or credentials. That dude watches so much basketball and he's so smart. But I, I, I wanted to dig into those numbers because they, they are very interesting. And and I, I want I want to talk about it because <laughs> yeah. Sabonis is the Pacers best all-star candidate. Yeah, I didn't think what's a bonus this year, too. You have to look at it in, like, the bigger context of his development, right? So he he has sort of gone from, like, his first year in Oklahoma City with, like, a miscast four, right, or whatever they played him at. Then he kind of got to become a center with the Pacers, and then he kind of has been a hybrid model now. But used to be in his development stage, but this year he's kind of the first time where he's, like, the focal point in the offense. Last year he kind of was, but this year he really is, right? And so if you view the way he's playing this year where he's having some kind of bumps in the roads, whether it's, you know – he's missed a lot of like three foot shots that you just like, like like roll in and roll out of the rim in ways that like, you just can't believe half the time. I mean, that yeah. game, like almost game tying shot against, was it Chicago that he, or game winning shot that like was in the hoop and then fell out. Like you got to kind of view that he's going to have some bumps as he kind of keeps developing. But I think what we're seeing at him this year is continued growth from last year, which is all you kind of want at this point. Cause he's still super young. I mean, he's 24 years old. He probably won't hit his peak playing years for another two years. Yeah, I, absolutely. And speaking of shots that ex- inexplicably rolled out, Anthony Edwards, buzzer beater. Uh, last, oh, yeah, that was a – oh, my God. Wednesday. That, I changed the week from being – I mean, from being terrible to being – all right, salvageable. This is this is not related to any Sabonis thing we've been talking about, but the basketball god saw Zach Levine hit a miracle fadeaway pull-up three to give the Bulls – to get the Bulls – I think Zach Levine do that like 10 times, so it wasn't that miracle. Yeah, that's true. But with two guys on him, it was a damn hard shot. And the basketball god said, all right, the Pacers deserve Anthony Edwards to not make this shot. That ball, that ball was like three feet down. I cannot it believe it. Popped up. I cannot believe it. But they got the win, and they really needed to win that game. So <laughs> that game, honestly – because they might be over 500 and the Raptors are losing to the Sixers right now and the Celtics lost today, could mean that the day coaches vote, the Pacers are one of only four over 500 teams in the East. <laughs> like, yeah, if they had lost that game, they'd be the seventh seed right now. They, yeah, they'd be under 500 in the seventh seed. So that that shot rimming out might get Simonis an all-star. Like that, that's, that's just crazy. Now I brought it all full circle. All right, go read John Hollinger's article because this was not intended to slam his piece. Uh, it's very well written and good, and I like a lot of – Actually, listening to him and Nate Duncan hash out the All Stars, I actually like a lot of the way he thinks about it. Uh, very smart guy, obviously. Well, so. and it, it, it's a tough year because across the NBA, stats are up. I mean, offensively at least, it's up. And so he's in too. Yeah, well, and, and the league is finally at more parity, right? It used to be like the all the good players out west, so they're like six or seven snubs. He's now seeing the migration with James Harden here and Kevin Durant here, and the rise of. Joe Embiid, and then the two guys in, South, uh, in, in Boston have risen. So, like, there, there's kind of this more parody. And I, I do at some point wonder they go to 15 All Stars, but that's just for another day. I think that would be lame, but maybe. I don't know. If you guys on a basketball roster, so technically, I mean, you could do it. I don't think they will because it, there is contract incentives for it. And I don't know if teams would be. See, that's, see, that's stupid. It's very <laughs> it's stupid. Gotta, the All Star game is a meaning. That's, that's a segment we'll have later this week. The Pacers will have more money to spend next offseason if Sabonis doesn't make the All Star team. So, that's. Maybe not the end of the world uh, if you want them to be better next year. Let's take a break and talk about the three games the Pacers have this week. I mean, their last two were canceled, so let's, you know, knock on wood. But the three games scheduled on the Pacers' schedule this week, uh, three familiar opponents. But first, 
little short break to talk about the great people over at Built Bar because they are making the best tasting protein bars ever. They're great for the health conscious guy, 100% covered in chocolate protein bars that are absolutely delicious. They're soft and easy to chew. They come in, I think, 19 flavors now. There's a new one, uh, coconut brownie that's really good. Uh, they're all low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. They're great for a keto diet. They're great for trying to lose or maintain weight. Uh, and all the flavors are delicious. You got to try them yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right. The Pacers, uh, after a week off, will have their only home game this week on Wednesday against the Golden State Warriors. They beat earlier this season. Adam, you have the numbers up or you want me to do it? I do. The Golden okay. State is 20th in offensive rating at 110.7 and 5th in defensive rating at 109.3. And they have the exact same net rating as the Pacers. They're actually must be slightly behind because they're 11th in net rating. The Pacers are 10th at plus 1.5. Basically, some records Pacers are 16 and 15. Pacers are 15 and 14. So both teams are at one game above 500 right now. The Warriors have lost a lot of close games. Uh, and when they played in... Uh, Golden State, I think that was the last game that uh, Oladipo was like on the roster. It was a back-to-back, and he didn't play, I believe. I, that, I believe that's right. I forget. That um, so he's still on the Pacers for this game, but he didn't play. So we can take some stuff from this game. It's interesting. Jeremy Lamb was not active, but the Warriors were mostly healthy uh, for this one. James Wiseman, I believe, is hurt and may not be active yet, which is a big change for them. Um, the, the thought, according to basketball reference, is, Injury report is the Warriors announced that they hope he went Wiseman can possibly return during the team's upcoming road trip. Well, they're on that road trip right now, so maybe Wiseman's back. But if not, you know, they have to start someone like Kavon Looney at center, uh, and th- that really hurts them. And especially against is Looney, even back isn't Looney out for like two weeks as well? Oh, is he, is he? he the B ball two weeks on February 3rd. So I, I know I know they said he might come back this week too for Looney, but who knows? Well, let's see who the Hornets started at center in their very last game because this seems like pertinent information. Ah, uh, yes. Uh Draymond Green, Michael Mulder, and Juan Toscano Anderson was the front court for the Golden State Warriors in their recent loss to the Charlotte Hornets. So uh could be a good game for some guys we've highlighted on the show, Miles Turner and Sabonis. Yes, Steph has an illness. Um, but like not 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 COVID, just was sick with something. Um, but I feel like by Wednesday he'll be fine. I mean, I, I would be surprised if he's out like five or whole week, which is I agree being sick. Um, and he's if he plays, I mean, obviously he's the obvious butcher in this game. <laughs> I mean, there's no one else. There is no one right. Else. I mean, Curry averaging nearly thirty points a game. I mean, you could make a case Draymond defensively is maybe the the that kind of butcher level. But I mean, Steph. I think last time they held Steph. Like this is what this is part of that run where the Pacers kind of held a bunch of guards in check, where right? they held Steph. They played through 20 points, which is you know a win for a guy having 30 points a game. And they did that to the lower the next night too. Well, um, I want to talk about this because I actually think that Jeremy Lamb being back is bad for this game because yes, he can't guard shit. He can't guard anything, and they had Sumner in the rotation with Lamb out and Oladipo out when they played in Golden State, and Sumner was played 30 and a half minutes because he played awesome defense on Steph Curry. They had him on him in a box and won. So Curry's probably going to have more than 20 points. Uh, Wiggins led the way for the Warriors last time at 22. He shot pretty well from three, so uh, they have some okay wings. You know, Kelly Oubre had a 40-point game this season, but he's been struggling, so like either Wiggins and Oubre have go-off potential. But yeah, it's like it's all Steph and they're going to have less options to defend him capably. I'm interested in this. Turbonus, when they played in Golden State, combined for 40 points, 26 rebounds, 6 assists, and 7 blocks. So uh, imagine that, except they don't have to go against any good centers. And some of that's because they did go against Wiseman. But I imagine they're going to feast, and I am going to pick uh, Miles Turner as my X-Factor for this game because 
I feel like if they have no one to match up with him, he can he can be more decisive, go past some smaller guys, make some plays. And his defense against a team with Steph is going to be all the more important. So uh, if Miles Turner is a good game, it should be good for the Pacers. I, I agree with you on that. Um, but I'm going to go with the expector of last game, uh, in my opinion, and who I think will be an important piece of this game. That's Aaron Holiday. So yeah. Aaron Holiday is probably best game of the season, 16 points and 12 assists. I think it's probably his only double-double this year. He might have one other one. Oh, assist. Yeah, he came off in that fourth quarter. I remember. Yeah, that, that was finally the game where Aaron Holiday like didn't look like garbage for like yeah, he had for the maybe the first. Playing better recently. Great. Yeah, he's played better recently too. But um, he was a huge factor off the bench. I think they played in the whole fourth quarter. Um, he helped the Pacers. I think the end of the third, it was a pretty tight game. I want to say they were yeah, they were. I think they were actually they were down one heading into the fourth, and they outscored the them by eleven in the fourth quarter, and that was a large part of Aaron Holiday's um, insane quarter. The insane play. I mean, that, that was that's he was he was really good that game. Yep. Um, so try to slow down Steph is, is the game plan. And I know that the disruptive way they play, they'll try to get the ball out of his hands as much as possible. So should be interesting, especially because they're limited on depth, especially in the post. I think the Pacers can win this one because of that injury. Uh, luck the, the Warriors are dealing with inside. And if Wiseman comes back, that might change the calculus a little bit, but the problem with picking any win against the Warriors is like Steph could just have one of those games where you just you just lose. Like there's nothing you can do about it. So yeah. I'm tentatively picking a win for the Pacers, but I, I don't know if I should. So this is their it's also the Warriors' fourth game on the road and a back to back third game. Oh, they're on a back to back. I forgot about that. Yeah. So there there are a lot of like scheduling signs. This could be a good night for the Pacers. The last uh, game of a road trip. Oh yeah, this could. Yeah, be. they've also the Pacers also have done a really good job of holding guard to check this year. I mean they they still. I mean, like even go you go to most recent like the like the 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 Atlanta game they did a really nice job keeping Trey Young from going off for like 30, 35. I mean, they basically have decided they just won't let your best like guard beat them. Like you have somebody else has to win the game, except for that Kyrie game. Um basically the only one where a guard kind of killed yeah. them. Um so I mean you could see Steph score sixty. Obviously, that's that's a that's a uh, option every single night. Um We've seen actually, I think we've seen it in Indianapolis one time. I think he had 55 points in a game against the Pacers at one point, like a couple years ago. But I think with all the signs of scheduling and the way they played guards, and this Warriors team is so focused on, you know, Steph having to kind of carry them because they're so weak on depth, it should be a Pacer win. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think that sounds good. The next game they have against the Celtics, who they split with in their third and fourth games of the season. And I want to kind of look back at those games and go, okay, what went well that the Pacers can take away? But in the first of the two games, uh, T.J. Warren played. And in the second of the two games, T.J. Warren and Victor Oladipo played, which is one of only like three times that happened this entire season. It's kind of hard for me to look at that game and go, okay, what, what can the Pacers do? differently from that and uh Warren and Oladipo had 41 in that second game so they were really important too so I don't want to look back too much on these games and see what was important but the Pacers did a pretty good job defensively on either one of Tatum or Brown in both games and Marcus Smart is out through the all-star break and the Celtics have been reeling without him so the Pacers do have some ways that they can uh they can get this win these this win excuse me yeah, Boston is pretty much identical to the Pacers in record. They're 15 and 15 right now, and they also have almost identical net rating. They're plus 1.3 to Pacers 1.5. So this is a pretty even matchup just in general. Yep. Um, because they're also, like I said, those are missing an important player, Marcus Smart. Pacers are missing a couple important players in Karras and TJ Warren. So, um, I mean, this is a, an important game, right? I, mean, I feel like every time they play Boston, it's like really important. Um, just because like they're so close in record and ESPN game and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I don't, like I said, like you said, I don't really know what to make of the last game, how it translates in any way. I'm not sure it does. 
Um, it seems like it's going to come down to does, is Turner still pissed that the Boston didn't want him, basically. Yeah, that's very possible. This is a fourth game in six nights for the Celtics. Not a back-to-back, but um, a fourth and six nights for Boston after some travel. So they could be a little bogged down and they won't have Smart. And they've actually lost, as of right now, six of their last nine games. They're kind of struggling without Marcus Smart. But uh, they have Tatum, they have Brown. They, they were up, I think, 24 against the Pelicans today before blowing it. So... Really, the Celtics' struggles can kind of just be like Kemba Walker has the ball a lot, and he's been bad this year. Uh, injuries have finally stacked up. He's a small guard. He, he can't do anything on defense, and he can't finish at the rim as much this year. So they've been really struggling. They're basically just like Tatum Brown and some other warm bodies at this at this stage. Um, so maybe Smart comes back eventually, and they're getting a little bit more from their young guys as the season goes on, but they are really a two-headed monster right now. So I think – for the Pacers, it's going to be key to stop either one of them and p- pick your fave for the butcher between Tatum and Brown because it's kind of yeah. just them right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I I, I want to say this this could be a really nice night for Malcolm Brogdon. Um, yeah, Kemba's not a tough matchup right now. So yeah, but are they going to throw? Are they going to try to put Tatum or maybe probably want to get Brown on him, right? So then yeah. are we going to see maybe maybe so if you're trying to hide Walker, you probably hide him onto Justin Holiday because Holiday's not um, constantly. Like he basically just run run the perimeter. This could be a good just holiday game, right? Where he gets open a bunch, hits a bunch of you know, like one of those seven of nine from three kind of games for him. Yeah, um, which he has occasionally. So I, to me, I guess the expectation is whoever Kemba is guarding could be a an exploitation kind of thing on the Pacers end. Um, and I think bench wise, this should be a decent game for like TJ McConnell in some ways. Yeah, I was gonna say that the the Celtics played the Hawks. Uh, they played the Pelicans today, but their game against the Hawks that I can actually pull up the box score from quickly. Their bench was Aaron Neesmith, rookie, Semi Ojale, unproven youngster, Peyton Pritchard, rookie, Robert Williams, unproven youngster, and Javante Green, unproven youngster. Uh, yeah, that could be a great group to play against if you're a TJ McConnell, who's been amazing of late, and the rest of the Pacers second unit. And now that they have Lamb in the right place, he could be a lot more deadly against those young guys. Lamb should never start again. Like I, I think if they won just one of those four game losing streaks, they were two over five hundred right now, and just lost to some good teams. And they figured out that Lamb doesn't belong in the starting lineup. I think their season outlook changes so much. Like him starting and and them losing four in a row at that time was really killer. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Brogdon's a good pick for your X factor. And, uh, I think, dude, are you picking the bench or are you picking Brogdon? Excuse me. I'll take, well, I'm going to, I'll take whoever is being guarded by Kemba Walker. <laughs> Fair so, but I think the Brogdon doesn't, or doesn't out. Yeah. I'm going to pick the bench. Uh, okay. one, the team they play on Saturday has a decent bench. And two, I just think that that's, that's a good chance for them to catch up. I mean, they have two stars when one over both of them is out of the game. It's a good opportunity to catch up. So, so do you, do you think they win this one? Cause I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know. I am torn. It's in Boston, which is a tough place to win. Uh, so I, I no know. fans. So is it really hard to win in a place where there's no fans anymore? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I I think they can win, but I think if you maybe put a percentage on it, I'd put it at like forty. So I'll pick the Celtics, but I'm not confident. They're both. Neither of these teams are playing to the level they would like to be playing at. As ever, the optimist on this podcast, except for last Thursday, I will, <laughs> uh, I'll pick a win. Okay, look at you. Look at you. Before the season, let's see what we pre- predicted for this week. We obviously predicted the San Antonio game. That's not going to happen. We both predicted a win against Golden State, a loss against Boston, and uh, I picked a loss on the back-to-back against the Knicks, and you predicted a win. So that's the last one this week. They play the Knicks in New York. Uh, the Knicks they beat on opening nights. However, again, that was one of the rare games where both Oladipo and Warren played, although, to be fair, TJ Warren kind only kind of played in that game. Um, and then they played them again in their sixth game and they lost. That was, I think the first game after we learned 
that TJ Warren was out for a while. They put Keelan Martin in the rotation in that game. Uh, so, yes, it was. And they lost 102-106. And if my memory serves correctly, R.J. Barrett couldn't miss that game. Yep, he had 25 uh, points that game. Julius Randle was amazing distributing, and he just has been awesome all season. He's got a great all-star case. And Randle was good in both games. So the Knicks and, and R.J. Barrett, has missed one three out of eight against the Pacers this year. So the Knicks have played very well against the Pacers this year, but to be fair, they're not terrible. No, they're, they're the definition of average. I mean, they are, they have a net rating of minus 0.1. So they're third in defensive rating and 24th in offensive rating. I mean, they're, they're a, that's not what I expected. I would have expected the opposite. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so it's a Tibbs team, which means that, and he has young players or semi young players, I guess, who all kind of bought in, right? That, that's what Tibbs is not like give him super he's gonna be a great coach because he he's just not that kind of coach. He's the kind of coach where you give him like a really scrappy team and they'll kind of he'll get the most out of them. Um yeah. and so he's doing that right now. I mean, my butcher, I think, is Joyce Randall. I think Randall's been playing great. Um, I know and you Randall, have been with no shade to Sabonis. This is insane to say. Julius Randall has a better all-star case than Sabonis. Like that, I would agree. That is wild. Julius Randle is so good all of a sudden. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I was going to say, you have been very out in the Randle train. I've been a big fan of the good stats, bad team Randle, who for fantasy owners has been great. The past <laughs> two or three I years. have never been a Julius Randle fan until this year, where A, he's drawing his threes, 40% on four and a half per attempts per game. B, passing, leads the Knicks in assists. Julius Randle. And C, trying on defense. So that bowling ball dude has turned into like a very good player. So that's a great I mean, for a butcher. his defense, he had a pretty good year with New Orleans that last year with Davis. I think they were together. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he kind of slotted into what was like kind of the Boogie Cousins role. Um, I think that season he put up 21 points and nine rebounds and three assists. So, I mean, not terrible. Um, but yeah, he's he's sort of, they sort of turned him into like point Randall in a way, <laughs> in some ways. R.J. Barrett, who is shooting 30% from three this season, like I said, is uh, seven for eight from deep in two games against the Pacers. So maybe it's something about the way they defend the Knicks that R.J. Barrett's just going to hit a million threes again, and I should pick him. But it's really hard to think of a second guy who really scares me. Maybe I'll pick Derrick Rose. He's kind of invigorated their bench, although he has not played super well since being traded to this Knicks team. That's another reason we can't really fall back on those early games is the Knicks now have Derrick Rose. Uh, leading their second units and don't have Oscar. I forgot that until you said that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that, that trade really slid under the radar, mostly because Rose hasn't been playing well. well wasn't like on Super Bowl Saturday they like made that trade or whatever? Like the like right in the you know storm of all the big news. Maybe yeah, it's yeah, that, but whatever. So Emmanuel Cook quickly is gonna be my pick. Uh it's either I guess it should just be Barrett because he's even without the threes, he's like he's good. Like he, you know, he can actually score. He's pretty good on the glass for a wing. Hey, the Pacers can use that. Um, but he just, I just feel like he's so streaky. Whereas quickly this rookie they have, I know his stats don't look all that impressive, but if you watch Emmanuel quickly, that dude is good. He can play pretty late in the draft, but he just gets by guys and gets in the lane and makes stuff happen. And I think he can be dangerous if he, if he starts feeling it, I think he can be better than Alfred Payton for sure. Who they start every game. So, uh, I'll pick quickly, but I, I know very well that, you know, it's a Tibbs team that, that gets right in your face on defense and is all about, you know, really overloading the strong side. But there are some matchups the Patriots come in. So who's your X factor here? I think it has to be Brogdon, who had 33 points last time they played. Yeah. That picked Brogdon last time. Well, do I count that pick Brogdon last time? Well, you know, it was also always amazing against the Knicks. Wait, I'm missing this. You are. How are you is missing it, this? Is it Sabonis who ends up Yeah. Having- 
like 15 of 15 games. He wasn't that yeah. good last time. Wasn't he actually not that good last time? They Opening played? night against the Knicks, uh, Sabonis had 32 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, sixth game of the season against the Knicks. You're right. He had 13, 13, and four. He only took eight shots, though. They just didn't let – he didn't shoot at all. Oh, yeah. you know what I remember, actually, that I want to I talk about? He had five fouls that game, too, I think. This second game against the Knicks, I remember what we were really critical of. That was the game where I thought I knew when Vic caught the ball – that he was going to shoot. Like I knew right away every time he caught it. It was one of those games where he was so predictable and the Pacers ended up blowing that one in the clutch. So actually the absence of Vic could be kind of helpful this time because he was the reason the Pacers lost that time. So I'm going to pick. Vic was really bad in that Pacer loss the next to first. Like, really bad. Really awful. <laughs> Worst game of the season he had for, for the Pacers this year. I'm picking Sabonis. Mitchell Robinson's out. Uh, he, I think he broke his hand. So they, they've they been going uh, differently at center. A lot of Nerlens Noel or more Nerlens Noel. Taj Gibson's now on this team. He wasn't on the team for those earlier games. He gets some center minutes as well. Some small ball stuff with Randall too. But uh, I just think Sabonis always plays well against the Knicks. They don't have a great matchup for him. And without, you know, Robinson's more of a help defender anyway. But just with a weekend, weekend, it's hard to say, uh, a less good Knicks center rotation. Uh, and they're going to have to do a lot more. I think Sabonis could have a nice game. I would. I, that's always a good choice. Uh, hey, you know what we should have said. Also, let's just pick Sabonis as the X factor for the week because there's a chance they play Wednesday and he is pissed that he's not an All Star. He just destroys. Yeah, they, they can go one of two ways, good or bad. <laughs> yeah, he just comes out and destroys the poor Warriors. That is also on the table. Yeah, I think they just win twice this week, so I think they lose to the Knicks because I picked okay. the other two wins. I don't think they. I don't think they go three and zero. They just they're just they don't have the team to go three and zero a week. Let's they assume just, they beat a very, very, very injured Rockets team in a game that doesn't happen. That last week was exactly what I said when I said individually, if you made me like put odds on them, I would say they're favored in all three games. But the odds are in such a way that I would say they go two and one. I would say the same thing about this week. I think they, they, I think they win against the Warriors, lose to the Celtics, and beat the Knicks. But I understand that the Knicks are okay and the Celtics are okay, and those can be flipped. That's my prediction, though. Yeah, I think you and I both said we were kind of like finishing up the season was like. Or like like this half season will be one of the twenty wins. Obviously now they two they games short. Like on twenty wins, but they could. The goal, right? You could still get to twenty. They'd have to win five of six. It's possible. Yeah, I was gonna say the goal probably now is eighteen to nineteen, yep. somewhere in that range. Um, I think so just be over five hundred. Just be over five hundred. Yeah, the, I would say yeah. That's probably the goal six right more. So they got to win three more. They got Golden State. They can beat. I mean, Boston's not that good right now. Boston, they can beat New York. They can beat Cleveland. They can beat if they win three of those. The Denver and Philly game are just like let's test how good they really are, kind of stuff. So we'll yeah, see. the Philly game will be a really good test, I think. Yeah, in Philly, uh, should be good. So be yeah, played. that's uh, that's how we got for today's longer than I expected show. Yeah, I uh, want to give one shout out real fast. Oh, go ahead, please. Um, to Turner, Miles Turner, who is raising money, yeah. um, for victims. I guess for the as victims, is the right word. I mean, I'm using the wrong word, but people who have been without power and struggling in the. Texas area, all over Texas, pretty much. Um, I thought it was funny how he turned kind of a troll into. I think he like is now getting like triple match basically. Like he's matching all donations, and then like the NBA or the Pacers doing that too. So yeah, very cool uh, story. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was someone someone asked him for a hundred dollars on Venmo because they blamed him for one of the Pacers' losses, and so Turner Venmoed that guy back at one penny and said, "Penny for your thoughts." And then a ton of people started Venmoing Turner just like in support of him and. He said he'll donate it all, and the Players Association said they're going to match the, the donations. Okay. And I, did you say the Pacers did? I might have missed that. I was uh, no, I don't know. I I, I knew somebody you the NBA PA or somebody I could remember. Yeah, I was away from uh, my phone in the news a lot this weekend, so I knew the PA did it. I don't know if anyone else did, but yeah, very cool. And if you want to donate and have your donation matched, uh, just Venmo Miles Turner, the easiest possible way to, to to donate to a good cause. 
Yeah. Seems so, weird to donate think, to a millionaire, although I very much trust Turner on this. He's done a great job. With yeah, it. I don't think I was well because um, and there's being matched now too. So. When it first started, of course, the the biggest Miles Turner fan in my household, Marina, um, was like, <laughs> "Oh, I'm going to send him. I'm going to send him five bucks because he said he's going to give it to the people in Texas." I'm like, "Yeah, you definitely do that." All of a sudden, it's now become fifteen bucks. So sweet. That's great. Yeah, I, I encourage anyone to donate there and help out when they can. We'll be back tomorrow to potentially. Uh, I believe the second half of the season schedule comes out this week. I could be wrong on that. Uh, that that's that's come to me via the grapevine. So I'm not going to – I cannot confirm it, but I'm pretty sure. So if that comes out Monday, we will talk about that. If not, you know, the all-star stuff comes out Tuesday. They have three games this week. We'll have lots to talk about. We'll figure something out. Uh, and then game previews, game recaps the rest of the way since they'll finally be playing again. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.